Uh, turn in your copy of Scripture to uh, Proverbs chapter 16. Last week we looked at Proverbs chapter 15. Today we're going to lean into Proverbs chapter 16. Now we're in this series called Wisdom, and we're trying to discover daily wisdom that leads to the best kind of life. Uh, we're kind of ramping that up a little bit. We began by looking at what is wisdom. When we talk about wisdom, when the Bible talks about wisdom, what's it talking about? Well, it's talking about living life God's way. In Proverbs chapter 1, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the principle of wisdom or the key that unlocks the door to wisdom. Uh, so what, what does that mean? It means that wisdom truly is living life in concert with the will and the desire of God. It's living life from God's point of view. It's living life God's way. And we're going to look at that a little bit more clearly today as it relates to our decisions. Last week we saw that God and, uh, desires for us to have wise words. Uh, today we're going to look at how God helps us have make wise decisions. Um, now, before we get into that, I just want to remind you that as a church, we pray together, and we pray at one o'clock for one minute for one particular thing, and we do this all week. Starting today at one o'clock, we're going to pray for one thing. We're going to pray for one minute. Uh, so I encourage you to uh, set the alarm or the notification on your phone or your, uh, uh, or your note card or whatever will remind you to stop at one o'clock, take 60 seconds, and pray with the first Norfolk family about this one thing, or what are we going to pray about? Well, for the last month, the last four weeks, we as a church have uh, enjoyed the privilege of serving in practical uh, ways uh, the community of South Norfolk. And we call this Big Serve. It's what we do uh, every year. We uh, pick projects and opportunities to uh, cut limbs and repair porches or, uh, or uh, rooftops or redo rooms, do painting. We work in schools. We, uh, we take these past several weeks and we have just poured our hearts into uh, the people in South Norfolk. Uh, well, today is a culmination of that journey, and I want to invite you to join us today from 3 to 5 at a block party uh, at South Norfolk Baptist Church. We're going to have a block party for the community of South Norfolk, and we're going to go, and I need for you to be there, we need for you to be there, so that together we can talk with people, and literally diffuse the fragrance of the beauty and the knowledge and the glory of God with people we encounter. Uh, we want to be able to add voices to the work that we have done with our hands. We want to show people the goodness and the greatness of a loving God who has uh, loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, and he sent us on a mission to minister to people. Now, that's what can be accomplished just by uh, eating popcorn with someone else. Uh, we want you to be there. Uh, so uh, three to five, there are no really good football games on today. Uh, at this evening, the Cowboys will play and win. And uh, go Cowboys. Uh, sorry, Redskins fans. Go Cowboys. Uh, but uh, just want to remind you about this wonderful opportunity. And what is that we're going to pray for? Well, this week, starting today at one o'clock and throughout the week, let's pray for every person in the South Norfolk community that we have ministered to 
over the last several weeks. Let's pray that if they know Christ, that they would be encouraged in their faith in following after Jesus, that they would find a greater passion to serve him because of how we have served them. If they don't know Christ, will you pray for uh, them to know the saving love of God through faith in Jesus Christ, that those that we minister to in South Norfolk, uh, those who are far from God, would find life through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I'm thankful for Lauren Bassett and all that she has done to help organize the teams that have worked uh, in uh, Big Serve these past several weeks. So you might also want to just pray for her that, that God gives her rest this week uh, from her labors as, well, she won't. She's got other things to do. But just give her a great sense of satisfaction over all that God has done through her leadership in this. So, one o'clock for one minute, pray for this one thing, all the people that we have ministered to, Big Sur. All right, that's a wise decision, okay? That is a wise decision. Uh, and we need to make wise decisions. Everybody here understands the, the power of a good decision. We also, and perhaps more poignantly, we know the power of a good decision because of the bad decisions that we've made. How many here have made a bad decision before? Yeah, we, we've all made bad decisions, and some of those bad decisions that we've made have been disastrous for us. Um, some of them could have been disastrous for us. Uh, when I go fishing in the mountains, and you know it's got to be a fish story, but when I go fishing in the mountains, um, I, I don't float in a boat, I wade in the river, okay? I, I just like wading in a river more than floating in a boat. So, I'll go to the mountains, and, and uh, depending on the level of the water flow, uh, wading the stream can be an easy task, uh, an easier task, or a more difficult task, and then sometimes you shouldn't even get in the water. Um, and it's been those moments when uh, I've been fishing in the mountains, and I, I see a spot across the river that I would really like to fish because in my heart and in my head, there's going to be a trout right there in that spot. And I can't reach it uh, by where I am standing. So the only way to get to that spot across the river is to wade through this rapid flowing uh, water. Uh, and uh, when I was a younger man, I would just go. I just go, just do it. Just, I mean, you can, you're young, you're invincible, you can make that crossing. And it led to some disastrous moments for me, uh, floating down the stream, uh, wondering if I was going to go off uh, into oblivion. Uh, but most of the time, I survived it. I shouldn't have done it, but I survived it. Now that I'm older, I still see with anticipation that spot across the river. But I also see the rapidity and the danger of crossing the water. And it's not that I'm any less strong. It's that I'm wiser. I might could cross that river. But just because I could doesn't mean I should. And that's wisdom. See, we all need wisdom in making good decisions, decisions that lead us away from disaster and toward 
life, flourishing life. And, and, and we desire to have a flourishing life. Good news, God desires for you and for me to have a flourishing life. Uh, that's what, uh, what prompted God to send Jesus in the first place. Uh, you remember in John 10.10, 10, Jesus said that the thief, the devil, has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In southern terms, in my dialect, it's steal, kill, and destroy. The devil has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then Jesus added this, but I am come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. The purpose of Jesus' coming was to give an abundance of life, a flourishing life, not dependent upon good circumstances, but even in the face of disastrous circumstances, Jesus came to give us life. Now, how did he accomplish that? He accomplished it through his death on the cross uh, and his resurrection from the dead. It is through his death and resurrection that we have a chance at a flourishing life. But the enemy of a flourishing life is sin. Now, that's, that's the greatest enemy. From the very beginning of the story of humanity, when sin entered the scene of the human race, flourishing life diminished. Sin, your sin, my sin, your sin kills the hope of abundance, of flourishing of joy, of peace, of hope, of comfort. That's what sin does. Sin kills. But the good news is that God sent Jesus on a mission to provide forgiveness for the accumulated guilt of my sin. Today, we celebrate that. In Proverbs chapter 16, I want you to lean into verse 6 says, in steadfast love and faithfulness, atonement is provided for iniquity. God, in his steadfast love and because of his faithfulness, sent Jesus to provide forgiveness for the accumulated guilt of my sin. He has, uh, through his death on the cross, paid the price for my forgiveness so that when I repent my sin and place my faith in Jesus, my life has been transformed. My sin has been atoned. Jesus has provided forgiveness for sinners. That's the good news, that we as followers of Jesus have become new creatures in Christ. We've been made fit for the family of God, not because we made up for the sin in our love, but because Jesus atoned for our sin through his death and resurrection. You're here today as a follower of Jesus, not because of the works that you have done, but because of the work that God did through Jesus to provide grace for you and for me. And when we bow our hearts before the King of glory, Jesus Christ killed on a cross and raised from the dead, when we bow our hearts before Jesus, trust him. He rescues us. He forgives the accumulated guilt of our sin, and he sets us on a path to new life. It's that path that I want us to talk about today 
It's the path that that we hear about here in Proverbs 16. Now, just quickly, can I tell you in Proverbs and throughout Scripture, but especially in Proverbs, um, Proverbs talks about two ways. There's this way and that way. This way leads to God's pleasure. This way leads to the best kind of life. This way is the way of wisdom. That way is the way that leads to disaster. That way is the way that leads to judgment. That way is the way that leads to tragedy and trauma in our life. This way is following after the will of God, living in the fear of the Lord, walking the path of wisdom. That way is embracing sin. Now, what is clear in Scripture is that our decisions are either this way or that way. There's no third way. We like to say, well, this is a neutral decision. No, it's not. It's either this way or that way. And that's what Scripture teaches us. That's what Proverbs talks about. We're either going to choose wisdom or we're going to lose because we've chosen a path that is not the way of the Lord. That's what the second part of verse, uh, Proverbs 16.6 says. Ver, the first part says that uh, by steadfast love and faithfulness, atonement is provided for our iniquity. Then the second part of verse 6, uh, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Now again, fear of the Lord, that is synonymous with wisdom. The, the fear of the Lord is the key that unlocks the door of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the determination to live life God's way according to his word, according to his point of view. That's, that's wisdom, the fear of the Lord. So what he says, by the fear of the Lord, you choose this way so that you're not wrecked by that way. Today, when it comes to your decisions, every decision falls in the rubric of one of these two, either this way or that way. So what we learn today is when we choose wisdom, we won't be wrecked by the wrong. When, when we choose this way, when we choose wisdom, then that way, the wrong won't wreck our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been wrecked often by the wrong. And it all starts in my heart as I choose, as I make decisions. No neutral decisions, either this way or that way. So how can we choose wisdom in the face of every decision? But how, how, how do you make a decision? I mean, what is the impulse for you and for me to make a decision? How do you make a decision? Well, this is what I've always done. It's a bad, bad way to make a decision. Or this is how I feel. Hmm, bad, bad way to make a decision. Or this is what I think. Bad, bad way to make a decision. When we make a decision... And God is not supremely involved and sovereign over that decision process. We're choosing that way, not this way. 
Every decision. Every decision. The decisions that lead to the words that pour out of our mouth. The decisions that lead to the actions of our feet. The decisions that lead to the way we do relationships. The decision that leads to how we handle uh, family and friends and even our finances. Everything begins either with wisdom, the fear of the Lord, or not. And if we choose that, the not, it's going to lead to trouble. So how should we make decisions? And that's what uh, God wants to unveil for us. And he does it, I think, as, he, as we look at this passage and we unpack it a little bit, I think there are three questions that we can ask before we exit the circle of our decision. If, if, if our decision-making is a circle, before we step out of that circle, we need to ask three specific questions. And they come from this passage. Uh, let's look at verses 1 through 3 to begin with. The preparations of a man's heart, uh, the preparations of the heart belong to a man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now, what this tells us is that um, I can deliberate, but God's the one who accomplishes it. I can, I can plan, but God's the one who will make a plan stand. I'm the one who can, can make a decision, but God's the one who will validate the decision I make. Uh, I, I can have my way of doing things, but God's the one who has the final answer on it. For any plan of mine to flourish, for me to flourish, for any decision I make to flourish, I need to make sure that I've got God's answer. I've got God's right answer. I've got God's Involvement. I'm on his side. He's not on my side. Uh, what we do many times, we make a decision, then we say, God, will you bless this decision? No. No. What we must do is, God, I'm making this plan, but I don't want to make this plan unless it's your plan. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 2 says, um, uh, the, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits or uh, weighs the motives. Uh, uh, this is simple, okay? So I make my plans, but, but here's, here's the problem with me making my plans. If, if all I have is my own information to make my plans, then I'm going to make a faulty plan. Why? Because I always think I'm right. There is a natural inclination in each of us to put right on any decision we make. We rationalize even the most disastrous decisions. For whatever reason, whatever the motive, make no mistake, God sees and understands the motive. If your motive is not uh, what we're about to talk about, then it's a faulty motive that leads to disaster. Um, we know this to be true in our relationships. Our other relationships, if, if, if I'm um, making decisions and it's for my good, but for my good leaves out my wife, make no mistake, that's a faulty decision. And it leads to disaster. I mean a lot of disaster. So often what we do is we make our decisions and God's not part 
not controlling, not sovereignly imposing on that decision. He's not the reason or the cause of that decision. We're just making a decision based upon what we feel or what we want. And we rationalize it as to be okay. The ways of a person are pure in his own eyes. But friends, God understands your heart. And he is weighing, he is evaluating the motives behind what you do and what you say, the decisions we make. So verse 3 kind of brings those two verses together. And verse 3, God says, commit your ways to the Lord and your thoughts or your plans will be established. That verb for commit means you need to roll your plans to God. Before you decide, you need to roll your plans to God. So the question that we need to ask before we exit the circle of our decision-making, the question we need to ask is, is God's glory my goal? Is God's glory my goal? Man, that changes everything in decision-making, doesn't it? See, so often we make decisions for some other goal. But when we center, cement our decision in this first priority, is God's glory my goal? Then it protects us from the wreckage of choosing wrong. The way of wisdom says that we're going to commit our ways to the Lord. We're going to roll our decisions to him. He is the goal. His glory is the goal of everything that we do. We choose wisdom when God's glory is our goal in every decision. After all, this is what Jesus did. And isn't that what we're supposed to be about? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be imitating Jesus as followers of Christ. We're supposed to be following in his footsteps. Jesus made sure that every decision was for God's glory. You hear it in John 17 as he begins his prayer. He says, Father, the hour is come. And he's about to be killed on a cross. He says, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your son as your son has also glorified you, as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 5, I have glorified you on the earth. I finished the work you've given me to do. Now, friends, please understand. Before we decide, we need to ask the question, is God's glory my goal? Or is it some other lesser thing that is my goal? The promise of verse 3 is if we commit our ways to the Lord who knows our heart. And by the way, you can't fool him. You can fool me all day long. You're not going to fool God. I can fool you all day long, but I'm not going to fool God. He knows my heart. And so the success of my decision, the, 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 the flourishing life as a result of that decision depends on God's glory being the goal of my decision-making. And the promise is that if I commit my ways to the Lord, 
then my plans will be established. My plans will be firm. My plans will lead to fruitfulness. My plans in my relationships and in my uh, family and in my finances and in my life will lead to uh, flourishing because I've chosen this way and not that way. When we choose wisdom, the wrong can't wreck us because we've chosen to live for God's glory. Is God's glory my goal? Before we exit the circle of decision, we need to ask ourselves, is God's glory my goal? Secondly, we need to ask ourselves, am I fulfilling God's purpose for my life? You see this in verse 4. Verse 4, God says, The Lord has made all for himself, for his purpose. Yes, even the wicked for the day of judgment. The Lord has made everything for his purpose. For himself, for his purpose. Do you realize you were created to fulfill the purposes of God? And this is where we find our greatest satisfaction as followers of Christ, as people, when we are fulfilling the purpose for which we were made. It's the picture of the clay and the potter. God is the potter and he takes the clay and he fashions the clay for a purpose. And the question is, does this decision that I need to make, is it fulfilling my purpose? You might say, well, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what God's purpose is for my life. Can I tell you, it's more than just being a banker or a teacher or a homemaker or a preacher. Your purpose has part and parcel to do with those pieces of our life, but it's more than that. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's what Paul wrote. This is the will of God. This is God's purpose for your life, your sanctification. You know what that means? It means that God's purpose is that we become more like Jesus. That's sanctification. It's where we uh, get rid of the uh, places where we aren't like Jesus and we embrace the discipline and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to make us more like Jesus. Sanctification should be what's happening in your life right now. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So God's purpose for my life is to be, for me to become more like Jesus is this decision, helping me become more like Jesus. God's purpose for my life is that I would help others find life through Christ. This is God's purpose for every person here who is a follower of Jesus. He has made us new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, but he's also given us a new vocation. And that vocation is to be his ambassador. You and I are planted in our work or in our home or in our neighborhood so that we can help those who are far from God find life in Christ. So the question is, this decision that I'm making, is it making me be more like Jesus? And is it helping me help others find life in Christ? Am I fulfilling God's purpose? After all, again, this is what Jesus did. That same prayer in John 17, he says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son might glorify you 
as you have given him authority over all flesh, and now here's the purpose, so that he might give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. Are you an ambassador to those who are dying and lost in their sin, helping them find life that is abundant and eternal through faith in Jesus Christ? That's your purpose. That's my purpose if we're followers of Christ. So when we come to the place of decision, we need to ask, does this decision help me become more like Jesus? And does this decision help others find life through faith in Christ? And if it does neither one of those things, then it's that way, not this way. Today, before we exit the circle of decision, we need to ask, is God's glory my goal? And am I fulfilling God's purpose with this decision? Then the final question we need to ask is, am I pleasing the Lord? Am I pleasing him? Go down to verse 7. It says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So what he's saying is, before you make a decision, especially in your relationships, make it your priority to please the Lord. So often, what we do, and I've done this, you do this, I'll probably do it again, because I'm married and I love my wife and I have four daughters and I love my daughters and I have a son-in-law, love my son-in-law. Many times I make decisions to please them or even you, and God is not part of that equation. I'm not looking for God's pleasure, I'm looking for your pleasure. Can I tell you, that is the wrong choice. That is that way, not this way. It's the wrong choice. But when I begin my decision-making, God, what will please you? Does this decision please you? Does it lead to your pleasure? Then the promise is that even my relationships, even the fractured relationships will find a place of peace because I've made my priority the pleasure of God. Did you hear that? That in my relationships, even the fractured ones will find a place of peace because I've made my priority the pleasure of God. You know, I say, well, I don't know if this decision is going to please God or not. How can I know? Well, you know by what God's Word says. Okay, so you want to know what pleases God? Open the Bible and read. That's the beginning place. You've got to understand what God's Word says in order to understand what pleases Him. Get a good concordance and go to the back of your Bible. Get a thick Bible. It's got a dictionary in the back. And look up the question, even in the 21st century, we can understand from God's word what will please him and what will displease him. We need to go to God's word and say, all right, God, this is the decision I've got to make. Your word says that what I'm about to do is not what your word wants me to do. Therefore, I'm not going to do it because I know it won't please you. You might say, well, in the 21st century, there are things that I'm choosing to do. I'm, I'm faced with decisions, and, and the Bible doesn't speak on those decisions. 
I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, well, you know, preacher, it says don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but it doesn't say anything about smoking pot. <laughs> don't laugh too hard. Hey, no, I'm serious. I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about that. That must be free and clear. No. Dim witty? No. No, the Bible, the Bible gives us the playbook on what pleases God, but, but he also has planted his spirit within our hearts so that we can begin asking God through prayer, God, will this please you? Can I help you with that prayer a little bit? Not only, God, will this please you, but, but let's start back. Now, God, this is the decision. I can't really find anything clearly marked in Scripture uh, that helps me here. So, God, I'm coming to you, and, and I know what your word says, but, but here's my question. Uh, God, I want to please you. Will this please you? Will it glorify you? Will this decision glorify you? If it doesn't glorify you, then it's not going to please you. And then, God, if it, if it glorifies you, will, will this fulfill my purpose of becoming more like Jesus or helping someone else come to know Jesus? And if it doesn't do that, then I know it's not going to please you. God, I want to make sure. And if it's questionable, guess what? It's probably not going to please him, so don't do it. Just because you could doesn't mean you should. Am I pleasing the Lord? Three questions. So what do you do with these three questions? What can you do today to help you exit the circle of decision-making so that you choose wisdom and the wrong can't wreck your life? What do you do? Well, you ask the question, certainly, but can I just give you a starting point? It's found in verse 5. The starting point is when God says, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And though they go hand in hand together, none will go unpunished. You know, the Bible is clear that pride, pride goes before the fall. From the very beginning of the story of humanity. Sin entered the world and destroyed a flourishing life in paradise because of pride. Throughout Scripture, the Scripture says that God resists the proud, the high in heart, the ones that think they're a cut above God, the ones that don't have God as the decision-making impetus of their life. And that's really what we're talking about. Pride says that I know better than God does about what's going to do best in my life. And, and, and that's what it means to be proud in heart. God resists the proud, but he'll give grace to the humble. So what can we do to reject pride? And that's what we've got to do. See, the whole point of this passage and the whole uh, key to making wise decisions is understanding that God knows best. We don't. So I'm looking to him to lead me to a flourishing life. we got to get rid of our pride. In James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, it says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. 
draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Friends, today we need to submit to God. You want to have a flourishing life, you've got to make wise decisions. The only way you make wise decisions is not through pride, but through a heart humbled before God. So draw near to him today. And the good news for us, again, the good news for us is that God longs to give us a flourishing life. And he's provided all that we need for this flourishing life through Jesus Christ. Who is fully God and became fully man. Who lived his life without sin and yet went to a cross to die for sinners. And was buried in a tomb. And gained victory over death, hell, and the grave through his resurrection. Today, we can exit the circle of our decision-making in victory when we follow Jesus and we choose wisdom.